You are listening to Supernatural Confessions, where it is a safe place for you to confess all your experiences, be it supernatural, myths, urban legends, superstitions, or even unknowns. And as a team, we'll compile and feature your confessions on our platform. Share with us your story through our Facebook page or website. You just need to search supernaturalconfessions.com. I'm Kim, your host for this podcast series, and now, let's get on to the confessions. Happy Wednesday to everybody that is listening to this Wednesday podcast. And thank you so much for listening in. The first confession that we're going to go straight into comes from our regular, and this is a rather long confession titled, The Office. Always meant to write about my old office but never seemed appropriate until I had properly left the place. So just under a decade ago, I worked in an agency that was situated somewhere in between Alexandra and Bukit Merah in Singapore. This was a typical office-come-warehouse complex and the company I worked for took up two floors in this building. The first floor housed most of our operational business units and was split into two sections. An office area and separated by a door was our logistic area that led out to the loading bay. The logistic area also had a mezzanine which we mostly used to archive all materials. Our third floor housed our studios and regional units, but for part one, we'll focus on the first floor. The first day I joined the company, I recall thinking that the first floor, mostly windowless offices, were mildly depressing. In fact, the entire building seemed decrepit, falling apart and was in dire need for some major repairs. The corridors were long and wide, but the light bulbs were constantly going out and not being replaced. Walking down there after dusk was tantamount to wandering blind in the dark. It was only later that I learned that the owners were serious sellers desperate to rid themselves of the place so they did bare minimum to upkeep the building. In an effort to liven up our own dim corner unit, my boss decked out the entire place in an orange paint, warm lighting and pops of colours. For some reason, it's never really made any difference to the gloomy feeling. They say when a place is filled with negative energy, it is difficult for business to prosper and the people working there constantly face hardship and more often than not, struggle to achieve success. On hindsight, that was very true for me and my colleagues because during the five years of my employment, things were always going south regardless of how much business we brought in. People were quarreling all the time, conflicts happened for the smallest reason and the company basically struggled to make ends meet. Working till past midnight was typical for those working in an agency life. I must have been there for a month or two before things started happening. And these happenings were so hard to just dismiss as us being overtired. Even the most religious amongst us started to experience things. And Kara wrote in her post in point forms of the experiences that she went through. Number one, I would hear pedestals opening violently around me even when I was completely alone. It was the distinct sound of someone yaking open the drawer suddenly and the stationary divider smashing against the side. On one occasion, I turned to put a stapler back into my own pedestal and right after shutting it, it flew open and smashed into my chair, basically frightening the shit out of me. Number two, the printer would suddenly come on. 
lights flashing as though it was printing something but nothing would come out of the tree. We thought at first it was perhaps faulty and called for maintenance but none of the tech guys could find anything wrong with it. Number 3. The landline would ring. P.S. Most of our clients knew to call our mobile after hours and the sudden sheer shrill jingle in the silent night would jolt you awake. My colleague got irritated one night thinking it was a prank and attempted to answer. When she hung up, she turned to me ashen face and said the only thing she heard on the other end was the faint sound of a little child giggling. <laughs> Number 4. When we had to work late, we tried to reduce electricity usage and turn off all the lights except for the ones in the main office. Remember how I said our first floor was split into two areas with the door separating the main office from the logistics side? It was about 10pm one night when we heard someone running through the mezzanine in the logistics area. Thinking we forgot to lock the loading bay door and someone got in that way, we quickly switched on the lights and dashed into to confront the intruder only to be greeted with utter silence. It happened again. The sound of someone running along the mezzanine only minutes after we switched off the lights. As soon as we switched it on, the running would abruptly stop. And so, we kept the lights on. Number 5. On other occasions, I remember being so tired and just walking into the pantry to make myself a cup of coffee. Too tired to even give a damn about the lights clearly a mistake because when i opened the fridge to grab some milk it illuminated the room slightly and out of the corner of my eye i saw a little boy slid past me and crouch on the other side of the room i knew for a fact that our office was locked and none of my colleagues brought their children to work i instantly shut my eyes and shrieked until my co-workers came running more incidents happened even when there were several people working together late into the night so we knew it wasn't just our imaginations. Things would randomly go missing from one part of the office and mysteriously appear in another part, causing even more frustration amongst our team. One of my colleagues brought in a brand new toy for her toddler during lunch hour and before she left for the day, it had disappeared from a pedestal. After a thorough hunt throughout the office, we eventually found it under the desk of another colleague who was not even there at that day, nor did he had a child. The salespeople, who was never in the office beyond half a day, had no fixed desk of their own, but were instead sharing a 5 meter hot desk that had 3 landline phones. On far too many mornings, they would turn up in the office bright and early, only to discover that someone had taken all the receivers of the phones, crisscrossed with the wires into a jumble of mess, then replaced each receiver back onto the wrong phone. Yes, we can only say that there is colleagues that might be doing this kind of prank onto the sales team but then again we were all so busy with our own work who would have the time to actually do this late at night only to prank the sales team early in the morning our neighbor two units down from ours was occupied by a photography studio ran by an australian man he had the friendliest ginger cat that was instantly adored by everyone in our office and we welcomed her presence on some of those long nights every time she saw someone 
anyone passing through the corridor, she would amble up and start rubbing herself around our legs. I remember calling it a day early with two of my teammates one night and congratulating ourselves for leaving before 9pm. When we were locking up, we glanced across the corridor and saw Ginger lounging outside our neighbor's entrance. Naturally, we were walked over to try and pet her, but instead of sidling up to us like she usually would, she arched her back violently hissed at us in the most terrifying way, then darted back into the photography studio as though something had scared her. I might also add that that was the last time anyone of us saw Ginger and according to her owner, she ran away. I noticed that throughout all this, a particular Malaysian colleague of ours, let's name her F, seemed very unfazed by the incidents that happened around us. F had also been employed significantly longer than the rest of us, so one night, whilst we were both working late, I took the opportunity to ask her if she knew anything about our office. F seemed uncomfortable to talk about it, but did eventually admit that the company had hired several masters who come and went over the years and many had advised us that the unit was in an awkward position. Sensing my management's reluctance to leave, I believe due to the cheap rent, they were only able to recommend improvements around the area. F shared that our front door was angled in a way that was not parallel to the door frame because one of the master advised us that a straight road in would cause us a lot of misfortune. Our back door leading out to the loading bay was strictly made to be a one-way entry only and nobody was allowed to use the door except the delivery drivers. Anyone who attempted to authorize that door would be fined heavily at $100 per exit because yet another master advised us that it was a low-timer which literally translates to door that leaks wealth. Ave pointed out that our CCTV was angled in a way to catch people who unlawfully exited the door and caused the company to lose money and not to catch people who entered. Our office was also painted a shade of orange to promote sunshine, warmth and connectivity because it was an unusually yin area that trapped bad energy. Confident that we were definitely facing some hauntings, I asked F about the spirit that was taunting us. She said she didn't know when he suddenly appeared, but suddenly turned to me and said, 你不是已经见过他了吗? Which loosely translates to, didn't you already see him? He's just mischievous and likes to play pranks, won't do anything bad to us. Next time when you enter a room, just turn on the lights, he will automatically kinda run away. Truthfully, he's more afraid of us than we are of him, but stay in the office. The ones outside, somehow, are not so nice. Then F ended the conversation with 如果你觉得那个小弟很惨等你去三楼你就会知道什么是可怕那个女人才可怕 okay? If you think the kid is bad wait till you have to work on the third floor then you'll know what scary is that woman is terrifying And that ends the first part of Kara's confession
In the parts to come, Kera would end up on the third floor. Would she meet the terrifying girl as mentioned by her colleague F? Tune in to the next episode whereby I will keep on narrating for the next part of Kara's confession. You are listening to Supernatural Confessions Podcast. If you have your own confession, do share it with us through our website, supernaturalconfessions.com. Remember, you are not alone. This confession is posted by Sharin and this happened in Johor Malaysia. In my early 20s, my parents sold their HDB flat and bought a house across the border in Johor Bahru, Malaysia since they were retired. I take along since I have my own transportation. My siblings remain in Singapore as they were still in school. They stayed with our relatives. Anyway, the estate in Johor Bahru was newly developed and we were amongst the first to move in. The first week went on fine, uneventful. We were busy unpacking, arranging furniture, decorating, shopping for stuff, so on and so forth. But once we've settled in, that's when I started having this series of dreams. What I call a nightmare? You be the judge of that. This is what happened. I slept alone in my room on the second floor. My parents slept in the guest room on the first floor as they were too tired to climb up the stairs after a long day out. The first dream I had was, in that dream I was sleeping and I was awakened by a loud taping noise coming from outside my window. I squinted and what I saw was a black crow that was taping its beak on the window. Very shortly after that, another crow flew and landed beside the first crow and began tapping its beak. Then came another and another and another till the tapping got so loud it woke me up and when I woke up, I was soaked in cold sweat. I sat up, glanced over my window and of course, nothing was there. I thought to myself, probably just a long day and I was just tired. Then came the following night. I dreamt of the same thing. Crows tapping on my window but this time I heard a faint voice of a lady calling out to me and I got up. But Remember, this is still in the dream. When I got up, I walked to my window to have a look. As I cupped my hands around my eyes and placed them on the window, all the black crows flew away. That is when I saw her. A lady standing outside on ground level. By her, I don't mean Jack Bond, not the lady in white, but she looked more like a witch to me. Long, mated and fizzled hair. Wearing a traditional kebaya like those peranakan nyonya, and I can actually see her face quite clearly. Pale, but filled with blisters, eyes bloodshot. I could see her hand coaxing me to come to her. Sini la, sini. Which translated to, come here, come. I stood there frozen. I couldn't move. That is when she snarled and Sini! I woke up again in cold sweat. Okay, by now, you would think that I would share this with my parents to seek advice or anything. But you guess what? I didn't. I'm not pious, but I know enough to so-called 
how to fend myself against these unearthly threats. Plus, I want to challenge myself and see how deep I can go. Yes, yes, I know. Young, stupid me. Then comes the third night. I made sure I replicate everything I did before I sleep in the hopes of dreaming the same dream I had the two nights before. But this time, the young, stupid, but somehow smart at this time, I placed a small book of holy scriptures under my pillow, just in case, for protection. So I lay down and I fall asleep. Sure enough, I had the same dream. Fast forward to where I stood there frozen after the crows and the cock sing, now she upped her game by calling my name. In the dream, I cracked open my window and yelled, Abba, Gona! What do you want? And she answered, Aku keseorangan. Aku nak kau. Sinilah. I'm all alone, but I want you. Come here. She insisted. Her voice echoed eerily but melodiously. I answered, Aku tak nak dengan kau. Baik kau pergi, sial. I don't want you. You better go away. I yelled back. As soon as I yelled that, her face turned upside down and she flew straight towards me. Eyes locked, staring at me fiercely. I immediately pulled my window shut. She started screaming as she stood right outside and began scratching my window, forcing me to let her in. I was taken aback. I gasped. My hands still holding onto the window handles, I looked down, took a deep breath, and composed myself. As I looked up, she was gone, just like that. I looked everywhere, and I couldn't find her. A huge sigh of relief, although I felt like I did nothing. But then again, all this happened in my dream. I woke up the next morning feeling fine. I got up from bed, performed my ablution, took the book under my pillow, walked up to my window and recited some verses. I also performed Arthan right there and went on with my day as though nothing had happened. And that night, I went to bed as usual. And guess what? There were no more dreams. Nothing at all. Blank. And nothing ever since. Here at Supernatural Confessions, we would like to remind you whatever you don't see doesn't mean it is not there. Confession by Charlotte Wong How many of you can sense when things are going to happen? Of course, in my dreams, I've had it many times since young. With regards to mundane daily stuffs, it's taken for granted. However, when it's related to life and death, I'm not quite as comfortable with it. The first one was when I was pregnant with my second born. I woke up one morning and I started crying. My husband rushed in and asked me what happened. While crying, sobbing, I said, One of our grandfather is going to die, but I don't know which one. Because at that time, both of our grandfather is still alive. And he laughed at me saying that, What? Silly? What are you talking about? Both of our grandfather is still healthy. I don't think anybody is dying. And, true enough, three days later, we received news that his grandfather passed away. Then, as the pregnancy progressed, I went into nesting instinct, 
two and a half months before due date. I was preparing the court and all. Then my maid came to me and said, Ma'am, you still got three months. But somehow, something deep inside me just tell me that this one, it's coming early. And I even remember telling my husband, if I ever said, let's go to the hospital, drag me, don't let me slow you down. For I know this baby won't wait. Well, my husband, like usual, he rolled his eyes at me and just chuckled. And true enough, two weeks later, I went into premature labor and I nearly delivered at home. Luckily, my husband remembered whatever I told him earlier and rushed me to the nearest hospital in time. And the next one was during my husband's grandma's funeral. We said hello to his cousin whom we haven't met in years. I suddenly asked him if he got married and his wife is pregnant. I also remember asking him, she's pregnant with a girl right now, right? However, I guess that cousin felt weird, he just walked away. Later, a chat with another relative confirmed whatever I said is true. Well, again, when I tell my husband, my husband said, Ah, just coincidental lah. And the last one was, this happens to my super fit and super active neighbor, whereby she was walking past by my house and I shouted to her saying, Hey, ML, are you pregnant? She looked at me with a puzzled face and said, I'm coming in. When she came into the house, she closed the door behind her and asked, How could you possibly know what happened since I only found out myself yesterday? I said, I don't know. There's just something telling me this. So here I am writing this post telling you guys what had happened. It's not a really a supernatural encounter. more like something mysterious, which I cannot explain it myself. If you wanted to share with us your confessions, feedbacks, comments, or you think there is a way that our contents can be improved, visit us at www.supernaturalconfessions.com and send all of it to us there. The following confession is sent to us by a confessor through a voice note. So the story is narrated by himself and he wanted to stay anonymous for this recording. So here goes the story. So the first ghost story I ever heard was from my grandmother and her ghost stories would always uh, pique my interest in the supernatural and um, it led to a lifetime of a uh, collection of, of such stories uh, from friends and family. So the first story that she shared uh, happened in the early 40s, uh, back when she was still uh, in living in India, uh, in a city called Karachi. Back then it was still in India, this was before the India partition, so early 40s. Her dad was a night watchman, uh, so he used to uh, leave his house you know, just after sunset and take an hour trek from his village to an oil refinery nearby, uh, near the port. And he would set out at night, yeah, and literally he used to walk alone to where he had to go and do his duty. And he would just go out with just, you know, uh, whatever he was wearing, a gunny sack uh, with some food in there, a walking stick and a kerosene lamp. And he would walk out in the dark. And he would trek for an hour out of his village, into the fields, into some like you know a bit of a wilderness and finally uh, arrive at the gates of the refinery where he used to come there uh, open the gate and then do his duty right 
So she shared that uh, her father always told her that, you know, based on his experience going out and working there for years, uh, she he told her a few things, you know. Uh, one, never look back at night when somebody calls your name from behind. And number two, if you can avoid it, never ever go out in the dark, especially to secluded places where there's not a living soul. And number three, if something does happen, fight your fear. Do not show your fear uh, and be brave because uh, whatever is calling your name will feed on it. And then uh, he narrates the story to her. And he shared that uh, there were many times when he was walking uh, to the refinery, uh, there used to be a place uh, where he used to walk past the fields and uh, on the side there used to be a small forest. And whenever he used to pass that forest, he would hear... Uh, his name being called from the trees, you know, so he used to walk just beside the trees and he would hear the, the trees moving above him as though they're like big, big monkeys, you know, on on the trees. But it would be voices of people calling him, Jaktar, Jaktar, come and join us. We have hot food here. Come, come. And he would just ignore it. And after that, the voices would turn to like, you know, something throwing stones at him, like small pebbles. And they would never hit him, but he would... He always near his feet, um, you know, on his way and, and it would disturb him. And this used to happen almost uh, very, very often when he would go there. But it became so often that it became second nature to him. So he didn't pay much heed. Uh, he would just recite some prayers uh, and just focus on where he has to go. So he never looked back. Uh, that was the first lesson, right, that he told uh, my grandma. But the story, uh, that's not the story that I want to narrate, actually. That's just a prelude. Uh, where he used to do his night watching the refinery was a huge piece of land and uh, what he used to do is he used to he would go into the refinery put his things down and then there used to be a place where he could like you know lie down to take a rest but he used to have to do patrols as well like prowl around the the uh, refinery and he and this was a solo job so there was only one human being in the whole refinery which was him so imagine you you are in the middle of a wilderness you know probably like five six football fields big and you are just the only human being there uh, and that was his job uh, for for many many years right being a night watchman and he used to say that that place if you can avoid it uh, avoid it because there, there used to be this uh, being there he said it was not a ghost he it was actually much more sinister uh, in the old Punjab they used to call that being a salida uh, and a Saleda uh, is some sort like a elemental uh, demon of sorts, shape-shifting, but it used to feed off fear. Uh, and it would be in the most secluded places where there is almost, you know, no living persons there. Uh, and it would just uh, feed on the isolated people, right, that would c- come across its path. So he said when he just started the job, he used to see like a big black dog, you know, at a distance, he used to look like a normal dog. So he, when he used to do his prowling, uh, the dog, you can see from a distance following him. And then suddenly, as the weeks go, go by, the dog seemed to grow bigger and bigger until it looked like a small horse, but always at a distance, like, you know, 400 meters away. And he could see the dog in the dark because its eyes glow, glow red. Big black dog, right? But over the months, as they progressed, the dog came closer and closer to him. So much so that um, he knew that it was not a normal dog because it was huge. Uh, this Saleda, uh, the size of a almost a small horse, he suspected that uh, it was a, 
kind of uh, not a such not a good entity right so he kind of mentally pre- prepared himself that um, this thing might disturb him and one fine day after a long night of prowling uh, sorry this is giving me goosebumps as I'm telling I'm just remembering how my grandma used to tell me but yeah so one night after prowling he, he kind of there used to be those kind of India bits, you know, string bits. So he put it down uh, on a piece of, uh, just just wherever he could find a, a flat piece of land. So he put the bed down and he took a, a short nap. This was probably about 2, 3 in the morning. And then suddenly he, as, you know, he was sleeping for a while, uh, he felt somebody stroking his arm. When he woke up, he saw this boy, a young boy, a small boy, probably like 6, 7 years old, standing in front of him. You know, and stroking his arm, he didn't get a shock. I mean, he got a shock because there was supposed to be nobody there. But he saw the boy, but immediately he knew something was wrong because the boy's eyes were all black. There was no whites in the in the boy's eyes. Uh, and immediately, what he did was uh, instinctively he said uh, he 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 grabbed the boy's uh, hair, he pulled it up. You know, so much so that the boy was lifted off the ground. And then uh, the my 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 this was my great grandfather, right? So. He had a watchman stick and he like tried threatened to hit the, the boy, you know, with a stick and the boy shouted, let me go, let me go. And suddenly in front of his eyes, the boy started being transformed to a big man. So much so that <laughs> my great grandfather couldn't hold him anymore, right? And his voice became deep and, 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 and like angry and his eyes started becoming red. And in front of him, the, the boy became a full grown man. And um, my grandfather hit him with a stick, hit him, hit him and said, why do you keep disturbing me? Why do you keep disturbing me? Uh, the man just like said, let me go, let me go. I won't disturb you if you let me go. Uh, he hit him with a stick, hit him, hit him. Uh, after a while, um, I think he, he just became too strong. Um, and the thing just uh, ran, uh, got off from my great-grandfather's hand and he ran away. And uh, as he was running away, um, he transformed into the big black dog again and ran into the tall grass uh, in the background. Yeah, and, and that was his, uh, I suppose, his... Uh, incident uh, up close and personal uh, however it didn't stop um, as uh, he continued over the weeks uh, the big black dog continued to follow him when, whenever he did duty but it, it kept a distance until you know he he kind of quit the job after a few years later but um, he always told my grandma you know never show fear because this being called the Saleda uh, feeds on fear and what it does to its victims it's, it scares you uh, it would not physically hurt you uh, but it would scare you to a point where you become paranoid where you you lose appetite you become sick and then you finally uh, die right and that's how it would toy and feed off the victim uh, through fear so my grandma used to tell um, us her grandchildren this story in her own way to say that you know don't give in to fear else the Saleda will come and feed off it so you better be brave so yeah, that's one of the first ever stories my grandma told us to be brave. Uh, it was her way. Uh, yeah, maybe not the most appropriate for young grandchildren, but yeah, it was one of the most memorable stories that I I probably will never ever forget. We have come to the end of this episode of Supernatural Confessions. If you have enjoyed this episode, please rate us with a 5-star review on whichever platform you are streaming this podcast on. Go on and tell your friends and family about us. You can find more of our content on YouTube, Facebook and our website. Search for keyword Supernatural Confessions. If you or someone you know have a confession to make, 
visit supernaturalconfessions.com. You can send it in text, voice memo, or even video format. Let us know if you want your identity to be kept secret. Supernatural Confessions is created by Eugene Tay. Until the next episode, my name is Kim, your host for this podcast series, signing off with Whatever You Don't See Doesn't Mean It Is Not There.